Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Freelancer Magazine, helping you grow a freelance business you love, sharing inspirational stories from freelancers around the world, freelance-specific business advice, practical tips, trends, events and lifestyle features. Honestly, it's so nicely put together and freelancers around the world are already gleefully awaiting the next issue that will either come through their postbox or to their inbox because there's a digital version too but if I were you I'd go to freelancermagazine.co.uk get subscribed and get those sweet glossy pages in your hand but right now let's find out what it's like being freelance for Joel Klecky it's like the best kind of problem to have but when you start getting too many great opportunities your psyche plays into it because you will actually, oh, am I not doing enough? Should I be able to handle this? What happens if I turn away this company? Am I burning a bridge to some incredible future? Like, should I be scaling? Should I be turning this into an agency? Should I be hiring? Like, what what should I be doing here? And unless you have done the internal work to kind of define, like, what's enough for you? What are you happiest to, to work on? It, it can be really tough. You know, the value of a great team, it's hard to work with people. It's different than being solo and freelance where you can make all the decisions and answer to nobody but yourself, but it's worth it to, to figure that stuff out. There, there will never come a day where you're on top of it. You've got all the things done. You're like, now I have time for all that stuff I've been putting off. Like it, it's not going to come. Yes, we're off to Canada to speak to Joel. Now, this is one of those episodes where it is a guest I have already spoken to. So if you want to go back and listen to Joel's original episode from 2015, you can do that. I'll put a link in the show notes. Anyway, he is or was a conversion copywriter. But since then, what has happened in the intervening eight years? We will find out. Also, this week in the Being Freelance community, we had one of the live shows that I do. So obviously there's this podcast, but now exclusive to the Being Freelance community, it's kind of like another podcast. It's a live show called the Freelance Disco, where my guest is the guest DJ and they share the soundtrack to their freelance life in amongst their freelancing stories. It's a lot of fun. We do it live in the Being Freelance community so you can join in. You can watch all of the replays as well. So go to beingfreelance.com. If you're not already in there, come join us in the community. Be surrounded by other people doing what you're doing. It's a feel-good place, particularly when we do the freelance disco. Let's crack on then. We are going to Canada and chatting to the founder of Case Study Buddy, Joel Klecky. Hey, Joel. Hello, hello. It's been a minute. <laughs> Hasn't it? And I mean, honestly, there's a bit of a spoiler alert in there because I just introduced you as founder of Case Study Buddy. I'm pretty sure last time it was copywriter. So, um, so yeah, so it was 2015 last time we spoke. Back then, you had been freelance for two and a half years. Mm. I'd love to pick up the story from there, really. So what happened next? <laughs> yeah. Um, at the time, I was really focused on copywriting and increasingly turning my focus toward conversion copywriting and doing more on the websites and landing pages. If I hadn't already, I was just about to do one of the biggest projects of my freelancing career in the HubSpot project. And so I worked with them on a major overhaul of their primary site and, and messaging and 
really big undertaking. And it was a really great case study that came out of it. And that parlayed into a lot of new opportunities. So I, I grew in you know my confidence. I started working with more mid-market to enterprise-sized clients and started to move away from just referring to myself as a copywriter because I, I quickly realized the number of things that I was handling for clients as part of these engagements, the process I was bring into the table, the research I was doing, the way we were translating that into initiatives beyond the pages or emails or whatever that I was working on. It finally, you know, felt appropriate and safe to call myself more of a conversion copywriter and consultant, kind of add consultant to the end because because there was just more happening, I realized, than just the copywriting piece. And so I was, you know, working more and more, as I mentioned, on mid-sized enterprise and, and larger projects and I was busy and I was really busy um, and I, I was stressed <laughs> um, between when we last spoke and now I've had uh, two kids, uh, third one on the way, got married. So a lot of the circumstances of my life outside of work changed. And as I mentioned, I was constantly busy. I, I would be booked out. I had more projects coming my way than I could handle and struggled oftentimes when something was a really great opportunity to say no to. And I kept raising prices, but I was still undercharging. And so, you know, I was doing great work, but I think around, you know, 2018, especially coming into 2019, started to, to feel like this is just not worth it. Um, you know, I started to fall out of love with the craft itself. And I think a lot of people I know who are really proficient at what they do and who are experts in their field, you know, Joanna Weeb, for example, they move into and out of the actual work itself. They, they, it's it's really difficult to sustain your, your passion and energy for the production part of it constantly, but then you miss it when it's gone. Um and so as the circumstances of my life changed, I think my outlook on the future changed. I think my priority shifted. You know, when you and I would have spoken in 2015, I think a lot of my focus would have been on trying to make as much as possible, drive as much revenue as possible, hitting those, you know, six-figure years. And then from 100,000 to 200,000 and, and beyond. And, you know, you it's not to say that that's not... Um, a worthy goal, but I, but I think a lot changed for me as I as my family dynamic and and all that shifted, and as I just started to you know burn out a little bit on the copywriting piece. When you said about landing HubSpot as a client, because it sounded like landing such a high profile client made a big difference. Like, can you remember like how how did you land that client? Yeah, I think something that I was really intentional about early on in my freelancing work was networking and connecting with people and not networking in the sense of going and tossing out business cards and being one of those people. But um, I went to a lot of in-person events. I had the opportunity to speak. I met a lot of people in person and my mentality was never pitching for work at these events. It was always just trying to get to know people. B2B especially moves so fast that people where you have nothing to offer each other at the time uh, can quickly turn into referral sources, people you work with, opportunities. And and so I had built a really good network both during my time at the agency before freelancing. And then after that, I kept that up. And so HubSpot was a result of, of those seeds that I'd planted years before. There was a, 
a guy named Matthew Barbie. I'm still friends with him, connected him uh, with him to this day. He was working with HubSpot at the time um, and knew they were going to be doing some overhauling to their their site. I had the chance to do a smaller project with him on some of their at the time brand new CRM pages. They you know launched their free CRM and this was a big deal and. Uh, so we worked initially on that landing page and saw conversion lifted 20% and that kind of got the buy-in to do the broader site um, to bring that methodology we'd applied there. And so, so much of my biggest and best work, even now in case study, buddy, you know, we have more of a marketing and sales engine. We're doing more, but so much of our cornerstone clients, our big deal clients in the early goings, and even, you know, still to this day has come on the back of connections, relationships, networking, solving problems in public and, and, and being out there, that whole personal branding, thought leadership piece, you know, it, it actually does add up to, to a lot when you, when you're intentional about it. Um, so it, it came, you know, when Matt and I originally met, we had nothing to offer each other. We just mutually admired each other's work and, and he brought me in there. And, and again, that opened a lot of doors for me because it showed the world that I could handle you know, accounts of that size. And when you've done one, others, others come around. Awesome. I hope people could hear how much your eyes rolled when you said personal branding whilst <laughs> admitting that it worked. Um, so when you started calling yourself a consultant, did, did adding that word in make a difference to your clients? Did it make a difference to you? Both, I think. Copywriting was getting more and more crowded. It, it's, an absolute jungle today, you know, conversion copywriting at the time was still somewhat novel, somewhat new. Not everyone was slapping that title onto it. Now everyone who writes a website thinks that they're, you know, fancies themselves a conversion copywriter, which is okay. I'm not here to, to gatekeep, but at the time it was, you know, it was new, it was getting more saturated. And I think it made a difference both in the pitching process because it made more sense. You know, the expectation was different because I wasn't being treated like hands at a keyboard. Now there was, well, Joel has a process. He has the ability to audit and look at what we're doing. He can deal in voice of customer and data. He can help us assess. He can prescribe things strategically. So I, I think it made a difference to both the kinds of projects that started to come my way as well as the prices I could charge for them. Um, even within copywriting, there's a ceiling, you know, eventually, even, even the very best. I mean, beyond... There's things like royalties and, and your real A-list copywriters that, you know, that they can charge ridiculous amounts of money. But consulting just, again, adds a different dimension to it because you're thought of, seen uh, in a different way beyond just the production piece. So I think it made a difference to clients. I think it made a difference to me, too, because to claim that identity for myself and, and be okay. Well, you know, I've always been hesitant. Um, to call myself even a conversion copywriter. And then, you know, later, like you pointed out, I think in our call, we still call me a copywriter. Um, I've always been hesitant until I felt like I really had earned a title or really knew my stuff. And for me to put that on myself, I think just emboldened me a little bit to see myself that way and to charge more and to go from my $3,000 websites to $30,000 projects and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think it made a difference for both for both sides but then it's so successful you've got so much work did it become hard to t turn stuff away yeah I, I think you know the grass is always greener when you're working on smaller projects you dream of the big projects when you're working on the big projects you dream of the smaller simpler projects you know it's it, it, it's hard to find 
what's right and and often that will ebb and flow again i love the challenge of a big brand engagement and i also enjoy the simplicity of being able to just crush something and and pass it to a founder who's going to be overjoyed with it um it's like the best kind of problem to have but when you start getting too many great opportunities your psyche plays into it because you you will ask am i not doing enough should i be able to handle this what happens if i turn away this company am i burning a bridge to some incredible future. Like you, you can be very emotionally invested in these opportunities beyond just the financial. And so you start to think, well, should I be scaling? Should I be turning this into an agency? Should I be hiring? Like what, what should I be doing here? And unless you have done the internal work to kind of define like what's enough for you, what are you happiest to, to work on? it can be really tough. And you, you know, even when you're doing the work, there's still the fear of missing out on the other, you know, great work. It never really, for me anyway, it never really went away in those years. You know, it was always, I was always nervous. If I don't take this on, what will, will I be losing? You know, what potential relationships, because I'd seen, you know, how one thing could lead to another. And so, you know, for me, at least I tried to pack in as as much as I could. What I was good at was defending the clients I did have. You know, I, I wouldn't ram so much in that I couldn't serve any one client, you know, to, to, a, to a high level. Um, but yeah, dude, it, it's tough to say no at the best of times. And when you, you know, when some of these brands or opportunities or deal sizes are coming your way and you simply just can't, um, it, it's a good problem, but it's, it's still a problem. It's, it's, still, it's still hard, you know. So when did Case Study Buddy come along? Yeah. So case study buddy started as a, like a side project. So I, I was doing the conversion copywriting. That was my focus. I just wrapped up a project for WP engine and someone who sat on their board thought it had gone well and said, you know, Hey Joel, I advise this company ping board. They're in need of a customer success story. Is that something you do? And, you know, with that same mentality of, you know, take every opportunity and explore all the things I thought, well, yeah, sure. For you, you know, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll you know, it wasn't like a regular part of my repertoire. I'm like, yeah, I can figure that out. I'll, I'll take it on. And so it was through doing that project for Pingboard that a number of things occurred to me. Number one, case studies are really difficult to do well. Uh, they have a lot of moving pieces, a lot of disciplines inherent. You have to be a good project manager, interviewer, writer, strategist, all those different things play into if you really want to do a story at a, to a degree of excellence, you need all those things. And I thought that's interesting that they're difficult to do well, lots of different disciplines. And then also, though, there's a universal need for them. If you're in business to business, if you're selling into other companies, every B2B company wants these. Every B2B company needs these. Sales teams want them. Marketing teams want them. So there was a lot of demand for it. Beyond that, it occurred to me that this was something that even though it's difficult, there is a repeatable process I could build around this. And for the first time, it seemed like this was something I could successfully build a, a team around and specialize in. I had tried to hire a team before and it went miserably. Um, I, you know, I, I learned a lot through my first foray into to subcontracting you learn a lot real fast about how your standards, your expectations, you know, expectations not communicated will rarely be met. And so I, I kind of had shut that down. You know, at the time it was more like blog posts and that sort of thing. And it wasn't unsuccessful so much as it was like total 
so frenetic and I just felt like this is not worth, the juice is not worth the squeeze here. Both case studies seem like, yeah, this is something that I could build a team around. I could build a specialized service in, um, you know, conversion copywriting very, you know, I found very hard to build a team around because once you're specialized enough to know how to do it at a high level, you're probably making enough that to go in house with someone else is not an attractive proposition. And then the last thing I kind of realized is I surveyed the landscape, like surely someone else has like planted the flag and said, this is all we do. We've got a scalable team for it. We've, we've built a process for it. And there just, there wasn't, uh, there's Casey Hibbard, you know, she's kind of the OG of customer stories and I have a lot of respect for her and the work that she's done, but she didn't have a team. She, she didn't have an agency. There are other freelancers, you know, who did them, but, but there's no like big player. There's no like market leader. I thought, well, why not me? Like, I'll give it a shot. So, um, you know, it's been over seven years now since case everybody's like early iterations. But in the beginning, it was just this profitable side project kind of off the side of my desk. I very quickly brought in a partner that I had previously worked with the agency at, um, Jen, and, and she's quite good at biz dev and, and operations and that kind of thing. And because it was you know, for me a side project, I thought, well, if I'm going to run this, I'm not going to be able to do it on my own and all my conversion work. You know, brought over Stephen, uh, who I'd done some conversion work with and, and blog post work, and he'd been with me for a few years. And then we hired Lindsay on the interviewing front, and you know, originally as a copywriter, and then transitioned her there. And so it kind of grew organically over time. And so you know, our first year was like very part time. Was like I think we did like eight thousand dollars or something. Like not not huge amounts of revenue. We were only charging like seven fifty a pop, but we were kind of like proving the concept and refining the the process and ironing out the kinks. And and then the trajectory just really started to take off. We, we started to get over the years, companies coming to us where it's like, okay, like uh, social networks that rhyme with Facebook, Harkett face, you know, like, um, you know, big companies started to, to come our way and recognize like, oh, this is a, an interesting specialization here. They're, there really it seems to be a need that we've tapped into. And so we kind of went from, you know, small four figures in the first year to low five figures the next. And then very quickly, okay, now we're kind of in the 80,000 range and then 200,000. Then all of a sudden it's 600,000, 800,000. And, and so this thing started to grow under its own steam to the point that Jen and I realized like we really need to drive this ship intentionally if we're going to find out how far it can go. And so just before the pandemic, we decided to make it more of a full-time focus for the both of us. And so that's, you know, kind of since 2020, uh, you know, it's, it's been more of my full-time focus. It's taken me out of, for the, for the moment, the copywriting side of things and um, give me an opportunity to learn some new things. But yeah, that's, you know, that's the story of how, this whole thing got going crikey there's so much i want to ask <laughs> which is just as well <laughs> since we've got a podcast to fill um but actually one of them is about jen that you mentioned so mm. she is your business partner in case study buddy and you worked with her an agency right is that yes what you said? Yeah. but how did you know you know like it's quite a thing to bring even if it was a side project at the time you had no idea how big it would grow like I'm just intrigued about how you felt about that, how you knew that that would be a good thing and whether you went, you know, did you get all the legals in place? Like, how did you approach it? Yeah, I'll start, the, you know, this by saying partnerships are hard and everything you've heard about partnerships being like a marriage is true. 
you know, Jen and I had worked agency side together. We'd worked quite closely there. And I knew, you know, especially there were just things about Case Study Buddy that I knew I wanted to work on and things that I knew I didn't want to work on so much. I knew, for example, at that time, I really wanted to be invested in the process and developing that piece and, and being part of the actual product and, and more of the, that operation side of things. And Jen, you know, when we worked agency side, she was project management and had done business development and helped that agency grow. And I really respected, you know, her ability to manage projects and to drive new business and, and that kind of thing. Those were aspects that I felt for me, you know, I was less less talented in. I, I'd run my own projects, you know, as a freelancer and done a good job of it. But I felt like, hey, if this is gonna be, you know, I don't I don't have time to do both. You know, in the early years it was more of a handshake agreement, I guess. You know, when when the company was so small that we weren't doing substantial revenue, there wasn't even enough to cover necessarily like the legal fees of getting this drawn up. Originally, Case Study Buddy operated as an alias of business casual that was just simpler rather than incorporating it as its whole own company. So legally, it was all mine, though we had this kind of handshake agreement. And then we did formalize, you know, once the company, it was clear the company had some legs, we did go through the process of incorporating it formally in 2019. We went through the legal at that stage to, to have that. And I would say that's absolutely critical to go through that process gives you a shared understanding of what the future could look like. The other side of it is you you have to get along and you have to be able to communicate. And, you know, we have both come through different challenging circumstances in our personal lives. Uh, this past year has been a challenging business, you know, circumstance for us. Things have been really challenging in the past six to eight months, just a lot of, you know, layoffs in the market and downturn and longer sales cycles. We've had to navigate that. But I think at the end of the day, you have to have a willingness to communicate through it. You know, I, I'd love to just say it's all sunshine and roses. It's not. But at the same time, you know, I think Jen and I would both agree the company wouldn't be where it is today without the both of us. You know, I, I don't think one of us individually could have pushed it all the way to this point now on our, our own. So there is an appreciation for you know what each side brings to the table and, and the value that we we each have. and. Yeah, I, again, partnerships are great. They're hard, but but they they can be a real catalyst for growth and doing more than than you could by yourself. Yeah, and then you bring on gradually team members, but were they like freelance as as in when you needed them? Yeah, that that's ebbed and flowed as well. Uh, it's really hard unless you're taking funding from somewhere. Or you just have a good nest egg, you know, that you're willing to invest. It's hard to go from no team to dedicated staff. Um, at least I found it daunting in the early going, right? You want to be able to promise someone a salary that's competitive when your yearly revenue is not even that salary. It's, it's pretty difficult. So in the beginning, we were all freelance. You know, Jen and I both uh, were kind of operating in a sort of, even though we, we were owners, more of a freelance capacity. Um, even long-term people who, you know, the first two, three years, people who are now staff were, were at the time contractors and on retainers and, and that kind of thing. Today, we're more of a hybrid. We, we have some fixed staff. We need to have some fixed staff because some of the roles that we 
having the business project management and account management, you, you know, it, I'm of the opinion, you really need those people to be in it. Um, it. They're very hard to contract those roles, just given how much can change for a contractor. And, uh, you know, at some point you don't want fragments or pieces of, of someone's time. You, you really do need all of it. Um, but we're a hybrid today. We have some roles like that. Some of our, you know, production team members are still, contract though most of them now would be retainer versus project to project and i like that hybrid you know i I like the place that we've landed i think one of the dangers you know in in staff is you know i mentioned like coming through the past six to eight months things get tough well it's not people aren't numbers but when you've got fixed overhead and you care a lot about your people and you care about the longevity of the company sometimes that can necessitate difficult decisions whereas with contractors it's a you know, it's, it's not that you don't value them, but it's a little less, you know, because they're not 100% with you. Uh, it's easier to postpone or suspend things or dial down retainers or, or what have you. So it's lots of risk to both for different reasons. And, and today, you know, I like the fully remote hybrid kind of model that we've, we've got, you know, it's, it's working for where the company's at. So what would your role be today then? My role within case study buddy has rarely been writing the actual stories. Like even from the beginning, you know, I, I did, you know, a small number in the early year or so just to really, I want to know what goes in before I hire or build a process around it. My, my role early on though, was really more of the operations side, the early operations side, building out the process, defining the products, kind of, you know, put, putting those pieces together and sort of the foundational elements of the company. As the company has grown, you know, we, our trajectory has kind of gone, Hey, we're all freelancers or, or essentially, you know, contractors and writers are managing their own projects to some degree. Well, that didn't work for very long. And so then, okay, Jen is maybe acting as a project manager on some of these, but then that, you know, then there was enough to do that, that no longer works. So then we brought in kind of like an operations manager as a a contractor, more of a full-time contractor. And that got us through some of our fastest years of growth you know about two years morgan really championed she was incredible in that role but uh, like a human cyborg it was it was not sustainable (laughs) to have one person handling that much stuff and so you know these days now we have project managers we have account managers we have interviewers we have writers um my role these days you know i'm i still get involved in the operations side I, i think jen's a little bit more invested there and especially with some of the things i don't find again i I don't find are my strengths the financial modeling the policies side of things the legal side of things hr it's not that jen loves all those things but she's she's good at handling them you know and and right now my role is really on the marketing and sales side building out the marketing program building out the sales side of things giving some direction there you know i get to go on podcasts and advocate for the company and then you know still as we try to tackle new challenges like ai where does that does that enter our process does that fit in what we do you know i like to roll up my sleeves and that's where i get to go back a little bit to the process side and again build this out what does it look like how do we incorporate it how does that happen but these days it's you know a lot of focusing on the marketing and sales front i mean what would you say so much has happened obviously but what would you say like a the things that you've learned most over that period? Uh, Every every year brings new lessons, right? Um, I think there's a lot 
in retrospect that I would do differently. And then there's a lot that I'm proud of. I think one of the lessons that, you know, as you grow a team and this is something generally championed, um, you know, I always felt like culture was like a squishy term and is like, okay, whatever, like, but it, it really does matter, you know, how you make people feel part of a team, how you conduct business, how you communicate with each other, how you define that, uh, your values and all of that. You know, it, it does make a difference to who you can bring in, who you can retain, the happiness of your people and ultimately the work you do. And, and so not underestimating the importance of culture, I think, is one big thing. Um, you know, I think in retrospect, I would have brought in an operations person so much earlier. The difference that made to our ability to scale and confidently bring in new clients and get out of one layer of the gunk and into another, it was huge. And so, you know, bringing in someone, uh, I, I think I would better understand when a business is ready for that now. You know, I always I was pretty conservative where it's like, well, unless we have this full amount, sitting in the bank account, just like there to pay someone as salary, we probably shouldn't bring anyone in. And now, you know, I think I, I would change my tune on, on that a little bit, but Morgan, you know, she, she ultimately, you know, moved on to focus on her growing family, but she made such a difference for us in the time that she was with us and laid the groundwork for us to eventually bring in, you know, project management managers and even the value again that our project management team, you know, Julie and Simone, their value to what we do outside of the production, it's massive. They're they're probably the most complimented people on our team. And and that's saying a lot because our production team is really, really good and people really like the work we do. Um, but I, I would have brought, you know, that person in earlier. I think you don't realize how important to the longevity of a business when you're running a company that's doing eight thousand dollars a year, you're not thinking, Oh, we, we really need a financial model. But those things become really important later. And so, you know, thinking ahead really matters a lot. And then I think the other, you know, the lesson we've had to learn over the past year, I mean, we grew, uh, you know, we, we were um, almost a million and a half dollar company, you know, Canadian currency, but hey, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're almost a million and a half dollar uh, company. And, and we grew to that point largely just without tons of marketing or sales energy. We, you know, we ran a small ad campaign. We did the odd small thing, but it wasn't like there was a vested focused effort. And then when the market turns uh, to not have those things in place is, is tough, you know, it's, and, and so again, I think investing intentionally in marketing and sales, having a, a good engine for it, a good plan for it. It's important in the good times as, as much as it's important in the times that are not so great. And, and so I think, you know, I would have put more, effort into that. But be, beyond all that, I think this whole experience has just taught me the value of a really great team. You know, n- none of this happens without the incredible people that make up Case Study Buddy. Holly as our lead writer, Stephen, who's been story lead and done so many things in the business. Jen, you know, JP, our head of video. Lindsay, who's been interviewing with us for like six or se- seven years at, at this point. Um, you know, the value of a great team it's hard to work with people. It's different than being solo and freelance where you can make all the decisions and answer to nobody but yourself, but it's worth it to, to figure that stuff out. Do you think that that original freelance mindset helped you build what you've built? I think it, it did both. Um, there's a, you know, it's not all good and it's not all bad. I, I, I think certainly 
you know, Jen and I are both very type A. We're very entrepreneurial. And so I loved throwing myself into the building part of the business, you know, the the process and outlining that and this to having a high standard of excellence. I, I think all those things have served us really well. I think even now, you know, that ability to build my personal brand as a, as an individual, it's, it's fueling a lot of the company's success today. There's still a lot of work coming in off of the things that I share or when I get to speak. And, and that's not me taking credit for the company's success. It's just a fact. Like we've been able to do a lot of we, what we can do because, you know, there has been a focus on, on being visible and, and having that feistiness to kind of, you know, sell yourself. I think though there, there are detriments, right? Again, learning to take the hooks out and let go of parts of the process you've built and let other really capable people run with them, that can be hard. Like if you're a perfectionist, you're like, I'm so used to doing things my way to my standard. You can have blinders on to think your way is the only way your standard is the only standard. And, I, and, and that can absolutely crush the opportunity to build a company. People won't want to work with you if you're kind of overbearing and constantly editing their work or telling them what's what. You know, and so it's, I, th- I think there's been a figuring out process on some of those things. I mean, you know, I'm really grateful now that those things don't trip us up so much, but you know, it's, it's definitely when you are used to answering only to yourself in terms of how you spend your time and the things that you do and what you invest in. I think even to this day, you know, I, I still have to remind myself, oh yeah, there's a whole team waiting for me to log into ClickUp and see what notifications are there that, you know, it's, uh, and I love my team, right? It's, it's not that I think I'm above them or anything like that, but it's, it's just an adjustment to now be part of a process as opposed to just, you know, running loose and cutting in whatever direction you feel like. Back with Joel in a moment. I would urge you, come and join the Being Freelance community. Hang out with others who get what it's like because they're doing what you do. Good things happen when you're surrounded by good people. And that place is full of them. You can be inspired, supported, cheered up, feel part of something because you're not alone being freelance. And as well as all the live stuff that we do in there, uh, like I mentioned with the freelance disco at the beginning and the virtual co-working that we do on a weekly basis, it's still that ability to go in and sense check, you know, to post a question, to celebrate a win. The fact that you don't have to just leave all the thoughts of running your business and dealing with your freelance life in your head but bounce them off of other people just feel like you're not the only one going through it it's a an awesome place to be full of brilliant people it would be lovely to see you there too go to beingfreelance.com click community i'll put the kettle on and i'll see you in there okay let's get back to joel you mentioned right near the beginning about you know feeling burnt out yeah how have you adjusted that what's your work-life balance like today yeah, I think I've come to accept there's really no such thing as work-life balance at all. We all get the same amount of time in a day. And I think the reality is you are never going to be in a place. There there will never come a day where you're on top of it. You've got all the things done. You're like, now I have time for all that stuff I've been putting off. Like it, It's not going to come. And so some priorities get decided for you. Um, when you have kids, those, you know, unless you're a real piece of work those kids become your priority you know your family your your spouse these are all things i didn't have when i you know started out in 2013 and and those have been adjustments that i've made i think you know in in more recent years you know the stress of the job and and the stress of work and and the hours and and those sorts of things 
you know, when you're, I don't know, in 2013, 10 years ago, I was 25, you know, going out on my own. When you're 25, you know, no one, no one cares if you work till 2am and, and your body can kind of handle it. When you're 35, it's like, you're going to hit a wall pretty hard if you're not taking care of yourself personally. And so, you know, the past six months, especially for me, I've been a journey of trying to get back to good health and get back to healthy habits and, and making sure that I'm, you know, I, I take my kiddo for a walk this morning. We did a 4k walk this morning, just went around and that's time I can spend with him and be intentional. That's time that I'm investing in, you know, my health and, and getting outdoors and, and all of that. So, you know, I, I think you can only prioritize so much, grieve the loss of the rest, but that's life that there, you're never going to have time to read all those books, play all those games, build all those things, start all those hobbies. You have to choose. That's, that's the hard reality. You have to choose. And as much as that can feel, you know, a bit morbid, um, it's also really freeing when you, when you realize like the things that I say with every yes, there's always a no to something else with every no, there's always something else you're enabling. And and that's, you know, I think the place I'm trying to be in now where I'm, I'm being much more intentional about where and how I spend that limited time. I think I'm being a lot more realistic about what I can get done, what I want to do with the time that I've, I've got and the people that, that I, you know, I want to support. So amazing. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's, there's a hell of a journey that we've talked about. Have you like done that all by yourself? I don't mean about your team and your business partner, but more about a mentor or a coaching program or, you know, those kind of things that exist or have you been just going solo? Yeah. You know, I was, I was on another podcast this morning and they asked the question, what would you tell your younger self if you could? And I think my answer was like, get over yourself and ask for help. Yeah. I think in the early goings for me freelance, especially there's this real desire to present like I had it together. Like I knew what I was talking about. Like I didn't, I didn't need a leg up. You know, I wanted, you want to be in a position of strength. Um, I think that served me in some ways. And I, I think that really hurt me in others. You know, I think there have been, it's hard to point to just one mentor because it's not like there's just one person um, that's just been leading me through all of this. But there have been many different people who at different stages have contributed to, to shaping the way I see things. Um, you know, Joanna Weeb early on in the conversion side, letting me see it was possible to do high level work and charge a lot for it and not be a, a scumbag at the same time. On the agency side, you know, friends and peers, uh, Nick Eubanks and and Matt Barbie and John Henry Shirk and these these guys who've gone out on their own and and done this stuff and I've had good conversations with them and um you know they've certainly been helpful. I think some of my competitors are almost me mentors in a way because I've been able to see where they've had me beat, um, the levels they're thinking on, and that you know I'm friendly with. You know there, there's testimonial here in our space who does incredible video work and Sam Shepler there's someone I admire and somebody who, you know, I, I watch what he does and I go, I wish I'd done that, you know, and I hope maybe the odd time he looks the other direction and feels the same, maybe not. Um, you know what? Different people come into your life at different times and, and help you learn different things. And I think, you know, on the balance side of things, like my dad now, he's retired, but, you know, I, I take a lot of lessons from him in terms of what's important and, and where to be present and, and where to dial back and things like that. So it, 
there's certainly not a journey you, you go alone, at least not if you're smart. And I think I, I spent too many years trying to forge my own way. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's still for me an uncomfortable thing to ask for help and be vulnerable, but I'm doing it more often and I'm appreciating the benefit of it. That's so good to hear. I also just wanted to touch on, cause it, it jumped out about clearly there's a brand of case study buddy, uh, but you've mentioned about how you and you know, your knowledge and your head brings in work, your reputation and so on. So yeah, just, I'm just wondering about that importance, you know, like as people listening to this who maybe are toying with the idea of having a company name rather than just, you know, using their own and stuff. Like, how have you managed to keep your self out there whilst building a company? My philosophy has just been solve problems in public, right? Like, at the end of the day, that's that's what people want, whether it comes from a brand, whether it comes from a person. We gravitate to people we feel like have the answers to the things that we're trying to navigate. We gravitate towards people that hopefully, and the reason that I... I get skittish on personal branding. It's not because it's bad in any way. I just, I feel like so many people lock onto that term and then do the stupidest things imaginable, (laughs) you know, blasting, just blasting out all this stupid content to elevate themselves. And I think that's the thing is it's not really about elevating yourself. It's showing how you can elevate those around you and make them better at what they do. And if I can show to the market and to, the world that I am competent and capable and thinking about these things and sharing and open and hopefully kind while, while doing all of that, the goal is not, Oh, Joel's so great. But the, the goal is that, yeah, they trust me. And then by extension, well, Joel wouldn't have a team of people working with him that don't also believe these things, look at these things, solve these problems. And so you know, to me, the two have never really been at odds. It's never really been, I have to promote the business or I have to promote myself. You know, my hope one day when I'm not working on case study buddy at some point in the future, I don't know, you know, when that will be, but I hope to bring my audience with me. I don't hope to steal them from, you know, my past ventures or anything like that. I hope that they'll still derive value from those things. But one day in in the distant or who knows when in the future, I want to build trust more than anything. And to, to me, you know, my brand hopefully is trust. It's it's that I'm sharing things that people can actually go and do. And when they go and do those things, they go, hey, that actually worked. Um, so that that's kind of how I view it. You know, other people, what gets toxic to me is just this like constant need to be an expert in everything, have an opinion on all the stuff, you know, here's yet another listicle style post of 90 ways the top, you know, 1% of companies are using this AI thing that's been out for three minutes, like stuff like that irks me, you know, a little bit and to each their own, you know, again, it's working for you, it's working for you and who am I to judge. But I think that that's the brand that I want to build is just trust, you know, and I think that travels well. And it's interesting that you say, you know, it sounds like you part of you thinks to the future. I mean, so you're only what thirty five? Did you say? But yeah. yeah, you're think you're thinking to the future, and case study buddy existing perhaps without you. I'm not saying he's about to leave everyone, <laughs> but you know, it is a thing, isn't it? When you build 
a company you can build a company especially as a freelancer that only exists off the back of you really so you know that's your its strength but you're also it's it's downfall or you end up creating something that all power to you means that other people can carry it on you know and, and to be clear like I, I genuinely don't know i i don't know what the future holds right if i've learned anything over the past you know since 2015 it, it's that opportunities can come at any time you know, I think with Case Study Buddy, the same vision remains. I still want it to be an incredible team. I, I still want it to have an incredible process, an incredible product. And and like you say, it's there's no imminent. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm out of here and, and see you later. But my hope would be that if there's a future where I've gone on to do something else, or I'm hit by a bus, or or whatever it might be, you know, that 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 company can live on. You know, and I, and I think. Yeah, I, there's just so much opportunity. There's a diversity of stuff. I, I'm getting to build a lot of new things within Case Study Buddy right now and, and learn and grow in new ways there. It's been a hell of a learning opportunity. You know, the things that I've learned running a company are things I never would have learned solo and freelance. You don't learn, you know, how hard it is and how agonizing it is to have to let people go. You don't learn how difficult it is to hire people and, and vet them. Uh, you don't learn how to know build or in my case at least like contribute to and think through in a financial model you you don't you know think through um you know okay well like how how a bip over here is a boom over there how does my change to the process and then this one place that seems small create a big tidal wave of change for for someone else in the org right and and so you know kcwd's been a huge catalyst for learning it's been a great catalyst for relationships and opportunities and and I don't, you know, I don't know where, where things are, are going. You know, like I said, there's no imminent change. But when I talk about the future and, and my potentially not being part of it, you know, regardless, my hope is that the lessons I've learned, the audience I've built, the team that is at this company now, you know, I, my hope is that everybody is in a, a really great place where they're continuing to learn and grow and, and do incredible things. Joel, it's been so good talking to you. What a heck of an eight years uh, it's been. <laughs> uh, look forward to hearing how it is in eight. No, I'm not going to necessarily uh, book you in now for eight years from now. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com as there are for all of our guests. You can uh, find links through to what they're doing so you can find out exactly uh, where Joel is online and Case Study Buddy. And of course, we'll put a link if you've not already heard it to the earlier episode, which has also got an insane amount of uh, of great quotes in it so go take a look at that as well beingfreelance.com and you're not alone being freelance come join us in the community beingfreelance.com slash community i'll see you in there but for now joel thank you so much and i and i always end saying all the best being freelance but all the best being whatever the hell you choose to be in the future <laughs> thank you Joel is such a wise-sounding person, isn't he? <laughs> uh, if you've not heard his original one, if you just carried on listening to this episode anyway, then yeah, click the link in the show notes, go back, listen to his old one. New episodes of Being Freelance are now coming every other week at the moment. So yes, a new one in a couple of weeks' time. But there's over 300 stories that you can check out in the back catalogue. And remember, it's not about what they do for a living, you know, like a conversion copywriter or a graphic designer or an illustrator or whatever. It's all about the being freelance. So even if it's not what you do, 
please do still give them a listen and as well as that at beingfreelance.com you will find articles you'll find a directory of freelancers you'll find the course if you're a new freelancer and the all important button to click which is taking you through to the community which is where hopefully i will see you very soon all right you have a great week being freelance